Thank you for your warm welcome uh, to me this morning. My name's Craig. I'm uh, studying through ETS and training at uh, St. Peter's Free Church through in Dundee and living and serving in our church plant uh, through a scheme called Charleston through uh, to the east of the city. And this morning, as you read, we're going to be uh, looking at a section from Paul's letter to the church in Clossy. Let me give us a bit of uh, background to that. We're jumping right into uh, the middle of the letter. See, Paul, he'd, he'd never been to the church in Colossae before. But a man called uh, Epaphras, he'd, he'd heard the gospel from Paul. And so Epaphras had heard the gospel. He'd gone and went to plant a church in Colossae. And this, this church which he planted, they, they loved Jesus. They really loved the Lord. And Paul, so far in his letter, he has been reminding the Colossians that he expects them to grow. He prays in the first chapter that they may grow and keep growing. And that this growth comes when we learn more about what we already have in Jesus. That to grow upwards, we must dig down into Christ. But then in Colossae, some some other teachers came along, teaching something else. They thought, yeah, Jesus, he's great. The gospel, it's, it's great. That's how you start in the Christian life. You start with Jesus and the gospel, but there's more to experience. There's a secret knowledge. There's greater spiritual things. And what they were doing was, was undermining the teaching of Epaphras. And so by doing that, undermining the teaching of Paul and so in danger of moving on from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul warns this church, this church who loves Jesus, that they are in danger of being taken captive. Sometimes when uh, people go and work abroad, they get uh, kidnap training from their business the things to look out for so that they stay safe and so that they don't get kidnapped. And that's what we've got this morning. Kidnap training. Better didn't think of that when he came to church this morning. This morning we've got uh, Paul's seminar for us on kidnap training. So pray for us and ask God's help as we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. May your greater glory be our chief concern. And it is in the name of Christ our King we pray. Amen. So Paul, in his uh, kidnap training, he's got uh, five sessions for us in this. Five P's helpfully for us. We've got the protection of gospel ministry, the practice of gospel ministry, the purpose of gospel ministry, the pattern of gospel ministry, and the plea of the gospel minister. So let's work through these as we work through the text together. Look at uh, why Paul writes this section in verse 4 of chapter 2. I tell you all of this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See, this is the, the protection of gospel ministry. You can go on to the next slide. The protection is knowing the real Christ. 
See, there are, there are ministers, there are ministries that enable you to rejoice in the sufficiency of Jesus. People you, you listen to and they help you and say, yes, not because they are great, they point you to Jesus and you say, Jesus is great. But in our world, there's ministers and ministries that will, that will lead you away. Often disguised as, as very religious, very pious things. And we have, we have voices, don't we, everywhere telling us about Jesus. I'm, I'm confident in a, a congregation like this that most of us will perhaps be part of a Christian book this week. Listen to a podcast, read a blog post, read some devotional notes. Some might listen to a sermon clip online. Who is it we're listening to? How do I know what's, what's helpful? How do I know what's not helpful? Look at Paul's warning again. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Or look on to verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive. Paul wants us to know the real Christ. He wants to know the protection of true gospel ministry. So what we see is that uh, Paul uses the same method as people use when trained to spot counterfeit money. I wonder if you know how uh, they do that. Ironically, didn't find out until seminary. I don't know why we got taught in seminary. But federal agents in the US and same in the UK, when they're being trained to spot real money, they spend all their time looking at the real thing. They want to master the real thing, all the nuances, all the, the details. And so when the fake comes along, they can spot it. They don't spend time studying the fake. They spend time studying the real thing. So when the fake comes along, they can spot it. That's what Paul does for us in this section. He wants us to show us the real deal so that we can spot a fake. As I mentioned, um, part of a uh, church plan through in Dundee. Church plan's great. It's God's, it's God's plan A in reaching the nations. And so in time, you will be appointing a church planter. So who is it you're going to call to plant the church? You don't want... Uh, an Ivor impersonator. You don't want uh, a faux St. Clair Ferguson. You don't want some sort of perfect John Piper ripoff. We want the real deal. We want the real them in, in what they teach, that it's the real Christ. And we also want the real them in how they labour. See, when we are listening to somebody share the gospel, we want somebody who proclaims the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, like Epaphras did to the church in Colossae. Someone who will leave us delighting in Jesus, even when that's difficult for us. Someone who will suffer like Christ. Someone who will be strengthened by Christ, and in so doing, protect us from being taken captive by fine-sounding arguments. The protection of gospel ministry is listening to somebody who gives us Christ. So Paul finishes off his introduction into kidnap training. Let's see how Paul gives us a picture of the real deal so you know how to spot the fake. He moves on to the practice of gospel ministry, proclaiming Christ. 
Have a look at verse 25 of chapter 1. Paul has uh, become the church's servant sent by God to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. Verse 8. Jesus, he's the one we proclaim, admonishing, that is warning, and teaching everyone. So what does Paul say is the basic work then of gospel ministry? It's presenting the word of God in all of its fullness. It's proclaiming Jesus. It's admonishing, teaching. These characterise how the proclamation happens. See, Paul's main work was to communicate a message. It wasn't to do miracles. It wasn't to heal. It wasn't to say how much God had seemingly blessed him in all sorts of material ways. Paul was there to proclaim Jesus. To proclaim the true message of the gospel. The true message that produces hope in heaven and faith in Christ and love for all the saints, as he says in chapter 1. The true message of the the all-supreme Jesus, the all-sufficient saviour, he goes on to say, the saviour who died to save save messed up sinners, like you and like me. I think you can imagine Paul writing this, it being read out in the church in Colossians. These false teachers saying, it's classic Paul, isn't it? It's just words again, that's all he has. Words upon words upon words. Think, today even, people don't listen to preaching anymore. They want more, we should give them more. We need to offer people more. Yes, tell them about Jesus, I guess, but but tell them more. Poor old Paul and his pitiful words. Rane, though. See, what I think Paul is doing here, he's... He's pinching the buzzwords of these false teachers. Words like fullness. That was one of their words. Presenting the word of God in all its fullness. What does that mean? It means to proclaim Christ. Not just repeating a gospel story week after week. But to take the text. To to wring it dry. And to show all the wonders of Christ in that passage. It means making the truth of the gospel clear. And to show it beautifully to people. To unfold all that we know about Jesus from his word. And to bring it to bear on people's lives. So as I have prayed just for that we may live as Christ calls us to live. In the home, in the workplace, with people we meet. With people we, we meet. Preaching Christ in all its fullness means that there's no shortcut here for ministers who are too busy. Too busy to prepare well. It means there's no shortcut here for people who are lazy and can't be bothered. And that applies to all of us in our Bible teaching, whether that's uh, leading house groups, whether that's leading one-to-ones with people. It's hard work. Preaching Christ in all his fullness helps being tempted to focus on other things as well. Why, why not have times on Sunday morning when anyone can speak? Why not have six songs back-to-back with slick changes between them? Why not spend time focusing on important social issues? These are good things in one sense, aren't they? But they're not the best thing. They're not the things that cause us to grow as Christians and cause us to delight more in Jesus. Instead, we listen to the Bible being taught 
like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus. I said, not just here on a Sunday, this, this work of the word of God, it doesn't just happen on a Sunday, but whenever we open God's word, whether it is in, in house groups and Sunday school and one-to-ones, in our conversations with people after service. See, as we proclaim Jesus in all of these contexts, as we partake in the Great Commission to share the gospel and teach people to obey Jesus, this is what brings new life. This is what enables Christians to grow. And this is what enables Christians to be protected from being kidnapped. And this is it's never boring. Have, have a look at uh, how the gospel is described in verse 26 and verse 27 in chapter 2, verse 2. It's described as a mystery. Not that it was a mysterious secret, like, like, like who's behind the mask in Scooby-Doo. Not what, one of those mysteries. Instead, it was undiscoverable by man, neither revealed by God to be understood. And what is this mystery of the gospel? It's God's plan to save the world, to reconcile sinful people to Himself by He Himself dying for them. That's the message that we hold out to people people who are dying on their way to hell. My family, as I mentioned to some others, that everyone apart from my parents and brother all live in Glasgow. So I'm over every month or so through seeing family and it just strikes me how many people there are in the west coast of Scotland. Millions on the way to hell without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why I want to plant churches and tell people about the good news of Jesus. But there's more to this mystery. There's another level, I think. Uh, I'm a fan of films. Twists in films. I love a good twist in a film. The greatest uh, twist in a film. I'm just going to ask you what it is. But if it's not this, you're wrong. Let's be honest. The greatest twist in any film. There's four words. I am your father. I bet as I said there's four words in Star Wars... You remember exactly where you were when you first saw that scene. It's one of those where were you when moments, isn't it? Imagine sitting here in Clossy. This letter is being read out to you. You read in chapter one of how amazing the supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus, how awesome and great he is. And then the reader gets to verse 27 of chapter chapter two. And says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And now you're saying that Jesus is in me. I bet you remember the first time you ever heard that. Perhaps this is the first time you've heard that this morning. 
See, if you are a Christian, by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus I just read about, he is in you. It's part of the gospel, isn't it? That's what we celebrated Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's brought people not by, not by anything secret, but by public proclamation. No Bible code, no secret way to connect with God. And look again at what Paul says in verse 27. Christ in you, present privilege, now. Not something to look forward to, something you have now. The hope of glory, future confidence. Is it any wonder then that the gospel is described as as glorious riches? Because there is no treasure greater than Jesus, is there? And that's what we have in the gospel. We have God himself. And this isn't for a few elites. This is not for super spiritual Christians. This is not just for the Jews. Look at verse 28. This is for all believers. For everyone who believes. So what does that mean? It means that because we are united to Christ and he is in us, our future is certain. It's secure. It means that we will stand before him face to face. It means that we will live for him, with him, we will know him, we will see him. It means that you aren't alone. It means that there's always hope amongst the darkness. Because the risen Christ lives in you. This is the power of gospel proclamation. This is why when we meet together, this is why when you want to plant a church, you want somebody who will proclaim this, not themselves, but someone who will preach Christ in his fullness where nothing is hidden back. This is why I want to pray for Ivor and his labours here, that he may continue to do this and declare to us the treasures and wisdom of Christ in the gospel. This is the practice of gospel ministry. But it's not the end aim, though, is it? What's Paul's purpose in gospel ministry was presenting believers mature in Christ. I used to work for a charity called UCCF, the Christian Christian Unions. I used to work through in uh, Dundee and St Andrews as well. And sometimes people might complain uh, to me that that Christian unions are a bit like mini churches or, or churches done badly. And I'd say back to this person, well, what's their purpose? What's the purpose of the Christian unions? They've got a vision statement, something like, we exist to provide an opportunity for every student on campus to hear and respond to the good news of Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Their sole aim is evangelism. Share the gospel. That's their sole purpose. But the church, the church is a lifelong place of Christian discipleship. Look at Paul's purpose for gospel ministry at the end of verse 28 of chapter 1. Does all of this so that we may present everyone perfect, everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul here, he's got these, got these false teachers in the crosshairs. 
Paul's saying the gospel of Jesus is all you need, not just once to start, but every day to keep on growing and growing and maturing and maturing. I love hearing people, hearing stories of people becoming Christians. I remember um, I used to work in church in Edinburgh doing a friendship there, and we had, we had an 82-year-old woman who became a Christian. It was wonderful. Our first convert in Charleston, she was um, in her late 60s when she became a Christian. It was through her grandson. Her grandson was at uh, a weekend away with the youth club, and Andy Robson was speaking at it. Uh, and the grandson was saved, he went back and told his grandma who was saved, and she now brings all of her grandchildren to church every week. I love hearing about people becoming Christians. Paul wants people to be saved, but his desire is more than that. His desire is to see Christians mature in Christ. Is this a concern for you? Growing in maturity as a Christian? <coughs> You see, this is of the utmost importance for Paul. This is what he suffered for. But how can we tell when this growth is happening? Perhaps having some rules. That's helpful, isn't it? You know, dress a certain way, maybe. Uh, what to wear, then, then pray certain things. Maybe we need a mystical experience, some sort of vivid, vivid dream, something being slain by the Spirit. Maybe we need to know God through music or, or hearing about some sort of miracles. It all sounds impressive. And that's just the sort of things the false teachers were teaching. Rules there, they're a handy gauge, aren't they? We can tell where we are against a set of rules. An experience, what's well, my experience? Who are you to say that I'm wrong in that? Said so in verse 28, Paul says, we need to be pointed to Jesus. The word of God is sufficient for the work of God amongst us. We don't need a spiritual technique to open the Bible, but to read and ask God by his spirit to make us more like Christ as we hear his word. So how do you know then if you're growing in maturity, if it's not those things? Is it simply you just get older and look older? Well, no, that's not what Paul means, is it? How many of us here, I wonder, have, have said or, or perhaps uh, thought, said to our children even, grow up and stop acting like children. I think I said that this morning to some of my kids. And what do we mean by that? We mean stop bickering, stop fighting, stop messing about. In two words, be mature. Paul's goal is maturity for the Colossians. That looks like being united in love. That's just going to help keep them safe. That's what I was praying for as well earlier, wasn't it? We may treat one another well. We may love one another well. That's what maturity looks like. Paul says at the start of chapter 2 that his goal is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul wants us to be mature. To not bicker, to not mess about. Like the church in, in Colossae, when new teaching comes in, the church is split, don't they? Church splits are horrible. 
when any new teaching comes in, the result is often it's a breach of unity. Some of us may remember the Toronto blessing or the Florida outpouring. Or the teaching that, that, that the Lord is doing a new thing, which is contrary to his words. Any teaching which comes in is bound to cause disunity. So Paul is really concerned that they stay united in love. And maturity looks like having a wisdom on how to handle difficult things. Notice how he phrases, notice the balance that this unity of love leads to and is related to the truth. They ought to be of one heart leading to one mind, knowing that, they, that all they need to, lo- to love and grow as a Christian, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. So let's pause then and think about what we've seen so far. Paul, he wants the Colossians to be safe. This happens by proclaiming Christ, which enables them to mature. And this maturity, it's a communal thing. It's something we do together, not as individuals. And this unites them. Learning how everything you need to live and grow as a Christian is found in Christ. This is why Paul is doing what he's doing. But his kidnap training doesn't stop here. There are things that you can't learn by listening to people online. Someone may talk the talk, but can they... And they walk the walk. So Paul moves on in his training to talk about the pattern of gospel ministry. Suffering like Christ and strengthened by Christ. Here's a discussion for you this lunchtime. What Christian has most helped you? What Christian has most helped you? I wonder what uh, names you might say. Perhaps some, some authors, some people from church history. But I hope high up in that list are people that you know personally. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. What does Paul possibly mean by that here? Let's think what he doesn't mean here. Christ's death, it's, it's full, it's sufficient, it lacks nothing. It is finished, he cried on the cross. So what can possibly be lacking then in Christ's afflictions? Well, it's a personal presentation of that suffering. But more than that, there's, there's a connection here, I think, between Paul's suffering and Christ's affliction. What I think this means is that God expects the gospel minister to experience some of the suffering Christ experienced when we offer people the, Christ, the cross of Christ. As one preacher puts it, the suffering love of, of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. Let me say that again. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. Paul says, I will fill up what's lacking. I will take the the whippings and the lashings. I will take the moaning and the mockery. I will take the hit so that I can present to you Christ in all his glory. Paul isn't buttering himself up here. He's showing what authentic ministry looks like. 
it's not pastorpaul.tv, it's not visions he's had, it's not the list of rules, if you just obey these, you'll be a great Christian. Paul's saying, I will suffer like Christ as I speak about him, so that you may see Christ's love for you. This is the true pattern of gospel ministry. It's suffering. Look at the next verse, verse 29 of chapter 1, where he's also struggling. Everything Paul does is about Jesus. Paul works hard for people he's never met before, so that they may know Jesus. And notice the end of verse 29 as well. Paul labours with all of his might, strengthened by Jesus, relying on Jesus, prayerfully trusting in Jesus. And what does that look like in day-to-day life? As a preacher, Jonathan Edwards writes, the preacher places the word of God before the congregation in its true colours. Not sure how smart they are, but for the people to see what's in front of them, to be helpers of their joy. This hard work of suffering is often quite mundane things of sermon preparation. A good sermon ends with you thinking uh, two things, I think. First thing is, of course that's what the text says. Can't mean anything else. And the second thing is, actually that's so easy, I think I could have done that. And getting to that point every week, it's hard work. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, those of you who lead Bible studies, you'll know this. Praying is hard, preparing is hard, speaking is hard, listening is hard, isn't it? Processing what we hear is hard. So where does the gospel worker go for help? Where does the listener go for help? What's to Christ? There's no quick fix. Ministers we see just in this letter alone, they're not some sort of guru up a mountain, some sort of Jedi master. They are servants. They are slaves who slave under the church to present Jesus in his glory. They are slaves on their knees to present Jesus every week so that you may know by the Spirit of God the impact of what we read about who Jesus is. So that means you need to know who stands behind you week by week. You need to know the person who you're going to call to lead your church plant. When you elect elders in the church, you need to know who they are personally. You need to know who it is that you listen to. Not just can they talk the talk, but can they walk the walk? So let's recap Paul's kidnap training. How do you know you're listening to the real deal? If you're feeling flat... You hear about the supremacy of Jesus and it just does nothing. Then this is the person you need to keep listening to. If you feel like you've been taken captive by false teaching or perhaps watched some stuff and you're not sure how helpful it was. This is what you need to look for. What does a Christ-centred ministry that you listen to? What does a Christ-centred minister look like? What kind of teaching will feed my need for more of Jesus? And the Jesus that is right and true. What teacher will do this when I start to feel like Jesus isn't enough? 
need to find, we need to listen to day by day somebody who exemplifies the teaching of Paul. Presenting the gospel in all its fullness that we may mature. Suffering for the church, strengthened by Christ, so that we may not be taken captive. So tomorrow when you read that blog post, you listen to that podcast, you watch that video online. Am I being taken captive by what I'm reading, by what I'm listening to? And Paul closes his binder and kidnap training. And he ends with the final words of the session, the plea of the gospel minister to continue in Christ. After all that we see in this passage here, if you've perhaps fallen asleep, now's the time to listen. This verse here is not just the key to this passage. This verse is the key to the whole letter of the Colossians. Therefore, verse 6, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Stick with Jesus. Be built up by digging deeper. Mine the depths of his eternal richness where all the glory of wisdom and knowledge are found. Listen to Jesus proclaimed and become ever more established in the faith and watch thankfulness abound as your eyes are set on him. Christ is the object of our faith. He's the strength of our faith. He is the sustainer of our faith. He is the goal of our faith. He is everything. He is supreme and he will keep you because he is in you. So stay safe. Don't think you won't get kidnapped by sticking the apostolic testimony we have in the scriptures. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not simply saved us and left us on our own. That you are not a God who is distant from us, but you are near, you dwell within us because we are in you. We marvel at the mystery of the gospel, of our union with you. And thank you that you want to see us grow in our love and knowledge of you. To protect us, we ask, help us to not ever be kidnapped. To not be complacent and think that we are safe. But rather to deliberately sit under people whose uh, Bible teaching will help us to grow in love and knowledge of you. So we pray for the elders, especially here as they lead your church, here as they teach your word. Be with them in this work, be especially with Iber. Lord Jesus, be with us today, we ask, as we ponder these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the thing we want to stay rooted in, the thing we want to grow in. Let's rejoice and sing together our final song in Christ alone, which reminds us of that good news of the gospel. And then please remain standing afterwards for our benediction.
Now may he who has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son fill you with all knowledge so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen.